the biggest stories from the pages of the London Free Press and LFPress.com. This is the London Free Press Podcast with your host, Craig Needles. The London Free Press Podcast returning for another episode this week. And there's lots going on in the community, but the, the, the story I wanted to focus on this week was surrounding what's going on with that explosion that happened in Old East Village. This is August of 2019 when it happened, which it, it seems cr- crazy to think that it's been that long, but that's that's how long ago it happened. And, and the case is, of course, working its way through the justice system. Dale Carruthers, London Free Press reporter, has been following it closely and joins us on the podcast to talk about that today. Hey, Dale, thank you very much for for doing this with us. Thanks for having me on again, Craig. It's always good to be here. First, if, if people aren't necessarily all the way up to date on what's happened, Daniela Lease is the it w- was the driver in this case. What is her legal status right now, and where are we at as far as her uh, her uh, getting through the justice system? So um, this case actually moved pretty quick through the justice system because Daniela Lease pled guilty to four counts of impaired driving causing bodily harm. She was originally charged with a dozen offenses, um, and the other ones are going to be withdrawn um, as part of her plea deal. And so last Thursday was the first day of sentencing. And of course, she wasn't sentenced that day, but victim impact statements uh, were read into the record. And we heard from Danielle Lease for the first time. She apologized to um, the people she affected. She thanked first responders. She gave a really emotional address to the court, uh, the virtual court, I should say. It kind of broke her public silence, which everyone had been waiting for um, for 17 months, essentially. She hasn't done any media interviews, and none of her family members have spoke to the media. So this was the first time we heard from her. And she had a, a lot to say, and she uh, was, was was contrite, obviously, but at the same time, she's currently facing a sentence that will probably be somewhere in the two to three year range based on what uh, the lawyers on both sides have suggested, right? Yes, uh, the Crown is asking for a three-year sentence and a three-year driving ban, and the defense is pushing for a two-year sentence, uh, agrees with the three-year driving ban, uh, followed by a lengthy probation period. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle between two and three years. Um, and that will be decided on February 11th. Danielle Lease returns to court and the judge will deliver his sentencing decision then. Uh, so when when she spoke, and you, you mentioned that uh, she is doing this all, of course, via virtual court because we're not doing in-person court these days for, for obvious reasons. What, uh, what did she say? What did she try to get across the people who uh, suffered serious injuries or lost their homes because of her actions? So she said she'd been thinking about this day for um, 17 months since the morning after the crash, she woke up and she's always wanted to speak to the victims in this case. Uh, She said she thought about doing it through the media, posting something to social media, but she really wanted to do it face to face, which she ultimately couldn't do face to face. But she did see the faces of the people she was speaking with on the virtual call last Thursday. And so she explained that. That's how she started out. And then she talked about why she's sorry and how she's going to live with this shame forever, how she came to forgive herself. She talked about how she really respected the um, strength that people affected by her crimes have shown. And she's going to try and use that strength to motivate her to become a better person. Uh, She broke into tears several times during her apology. It seemed really sincere um, from uh, my take, I'd Mm -hmm. say. 
Yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure, obviously, for for 17 months, like you said, she's been sort of thinking about this day and what it's uh, what it's going to look like here. So, what are the next steps? Of course, that uh, the, the the court thinks about. There's victim impact statements. What can you tell us about those? What do we learn from those? Yeah, there was um, four victim impact statements uh, read into the record on Thursday. Three others were just submitted but weren't read into the record, and. The ones we heard uh, were from Woodfield Ave residents, including uh, Karen Fisher and her young daughter, whose house Danielle Lee struck and caused the explosion. Um, They talked about essentially losing all of their possessions, everyone who gave victim impact statements, losing everything, having no clothes, no possessions, um, losing their home, having to buy everything, battling their insurance companies for coverage. the lasting psychological impact from this night, right? These people were sleeping at home. They're woken to this crash, followed by an explosion and a fire. Um, They described really being robbed of peace of mind, not feeling safe, being scared of loud noises, um, being afraid to be around large crowds, uh, the fears being triggered by smells like fire or propane or seeing emergency responders bring it all back. So 17 months later, these people were still dealing with um, these psychological issues, anxiety, um, depression, all these things that uh, they talked about that were just caused by this crash and they hadn't got over them yet. Um, And so they really articulated the pain that Daniela had caused them. And it was really powerful, some of these victim impact statements. Yeah, I I can I can only imagine, and I've I've been in courtrooms for victim impact statements before, and it's it, 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 it in a lot of ways it's difficult to hear sort of how someone's actions have, have, have impacted somebody's life, and it's uh, they're they're sort of pouring their emotion into this. It's it, it's really hard to hear. Now I know that there were some statements that were not read into the court record as well in regards mm-hmm. to uh, what happened from a, a couple of one from a firefighter and one from someone who is uh, uh, the partner of a firefighter, right? Uh, yes, there was three uh, victim impact statements that weren't read into the record, and we felt that those are really important to hear what was said in those, um, because it's still public information. So we applied for the exhibits, and I got those last week, and two of the statements, oh, one was from uh, a firefighter who was critically injured, uh, Thomas Wenhart, and the other was from uh, the wife of uh, Doug Smith was his name. Uh, David Smith. And, oh, sorry, David Smith. Yes, yes. <laughs> A lot of names, a lot of names in the story, yeah. From David Smith's wife. And so, um, starting with Thomas, he was uh, one of the first firefighters to arrive on the scene. And he um, was in front of the house when it exploded. And he was struck in the head uh, with debris. And he was buried in rubble. His colleagues dug him out. And he was hospitalized for eight days, including four days in a coma. Had extensive injuries. Um, especially to his face, underwent a number of procedures. And basically in his statement, he just talked about during his time in the hospital, all he wanted to do was get home to his family. Um, But then when he got home, his life was not the same as it was before. He couldn't stand on his own. He couldn't eat solid foods. Um, But the biggest impact it had in his life was he wasn't able to care for his three-month-old son. Um, because he was so severely injured. So he talked about being robbed of those early bonding months uh, uh, father has with his son. As I'm sure you know, Craig, those yeah. first months are crucial. You can't get him back. 
No. And so he talked about how he lost that and how that really stuck with him. It was really emotional, actually. I uh, I can't imagine what that would be like to have this new baby and not be able to to, to hold the baby. And you want to sort of you 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 want to build that bond, obviously. Uh, just well, it just it, it breaks your heart even just thinking about it. It does. And um, the other firefighter, uh, David Smith, through his wife, talked about um, how he was responding to the scene and he was also struck in the head with debris. But he continued working for two hours until his colleagues noticed that there was swelling in his head um, and they told him to go to the hospital. And then in the weeks following, his symptoms start getting worse. He couldn't focus. Uh, His vision was affected. And it turned out that he had a brain injury and he hasn't been able to return to work since he was supposed to retire in November. Um, but that was overshadowed because he's off injured and struggling to adapt to his new life. Um, and so his wife uh, wrote about how it really affected them uh, as a couple and as a family and really altered their plans. They had retirement plans, they had all these other things planned. And uh, because of this, they, uh, are still kind of struggling with that. So again, you just see how first responders were also deeply affected by this. Uh, Four first responders were injured in total. There's also two police officers injured, but not uh, seriously. That's, uh, yeah, another one that's just, it's difficult to hear. And you just show that when that explosion happened and and I was there that night, I'm pretty sure I saw you there that that night Mm -hmm. as well, Dale. I was thinking to myself the whole time I was there, wow, I just cannot believe that no one was killed as we sort of got more information as the hours proceeded. But even though no one was killed, some lives, the course of those lives have been uh, completely and totally altered by what occurred that night back in August of 2019. Yeah, and that line, uh, I can't believe no one died, is something we've heard so many times especially right after the explosion. And that was, and some of the victims mentioned that, um, saying that that's people kind of write it off. I can't believe no one died, but they think that kind of takes away from their suffering and the mm-hmm. serious uh, difficulties their lives have been put into because of this. Um, but that is something people always say, I can't believe no one died. And of course, that's a natural thing to say, because like you said, you were out there, Craig, it, it looked like a tornado had went through yep. the neighborhood. The destruction was unbelievable um and you see that uh this firefighter who was critically injured he came very close to losing his life and he suffered very serious injuries that will forever impact him um and so you just it was really good to hear his words and how he was affected um his victim impact statement wasn't read into the record uh and we went kind of uh out of our way to get it uh by applying for the exhibits and uh some people were a little upset they said hey he didn't want his words uh public but this was an important part of the story um and it was a public document so we felt that it was important to um get it and uh cover that because he hadn't spoken publicly and we just see how serious his injuries were and how much he's struggling still to put his life back together so it just really puts a face to uh the actions of Danielle Elise and what her decision led to. Yeah, and, and documents submitted to uh, uh, the court in a criminal case, those are 
Those are matters of public record, right? So uh, nothing, uh, nothing exactly. underhanded's gone on here for sure. Uh, before we wrap up, you said the uh, the eleventh is when the sentencing is coming up, and obviously we're going to be uh, looking to that and, and figure out what kind of sentence Danielle Elise is going to going to face here. There are other legal cases that are ongoing. Uh, there's at least one lawsuit that, that that's been launched already. There's possibilities of uh, of, of several others. Uh, the criminal aspect of this is going to come to a close. Uh, in February, but the civil aspect of this is probably going to be going on for years, right? Oh, yeah. Civil cases, they take a lot longer to work their way through the courts than criminal cases. And the first lawsuit filed was for $2.5 million filed uh, um, by several Woodman Avenue residents against uh, Danielle Elise, her father, whose car she was driving at the time of the crash, Budweiser Gardens, the city, a security company at the Budweiser Gardens and the management company at the arena. Um, and basically the lawsuit said that uh, lease was overserved. No one tried to um, stop her from driving away, taking her keys, calling her a cab. Um, the lawsuit alleges that more effort should have been made to stop her from driving. And that's why the venue and the city as the owner of the venue are also uh, legally responsible. It's a negligence lawsuit and, each uh, each plaintiff is seeking $500,000. There's five of them. And we expect more lawsuits to be filed. Um, they touched on the pending civil litigation at her sentencing hearing. The Crown said um, she's likely to be liable for millions of dollars and will almost certainly be, be driven into bankruptcy. Um, she's 24. She hasn't worked since the crash. Um, because she said it's hard to get a job. People are hesitant to hire her. Before that, uh, she worked for about five years at Tim Hortons working the overnight shift. So this is a young woman who doesn't have a lot of money and is going to be potentially liable for, like, uh, from what I've heard, millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So she's facing a fairly bleak financial future uh, in the follow from this. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people would hear this and say, you know, good, this should stay with her for the rest of her life. Uh, but no matter how long she spends in jail, this is going to stay with her for the rest of her life. There's no way around that. Oh, for sure. Based on uh, what she said in court the other day, she said she's never going to forgive herself. Um, I don't know if time will change that, but at this point, she is holding on to it pretty strong uh, still. And she'll have these civil lawsuits to deal with and she will be doing uh, time in jail or prison so this will be with her for quite some time we will uh, wrap up there because uh, the clock is uh, is working against us here dale thank you so much for uh, uh the fantastic update here uh, for anyone who was kind of trying to get the get caught up to speed this will be a 15 minutes where they can uh, really just hear all the facts right uh, uh right laid out before the sentencing so i uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast and doing this with us today Great. Thanks for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. That's Dale Carruthers, London Free Press reporter here on the London Free Press podcast, which you can find on Stitcher, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and of course on YouTube and LFPress.com as well. All the time we have for this episode, back at you with another one next week. Thanks for listening to the London Free Press podcast.